from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Last weekend, Rocky Top proved to be too treacherous for Florida as Tennessee snapped the streak and won the rivalry game for the first time since 2004. Disappointed but undeterred, the Gators will shuffle into Music City this weekend hoping to regain their form against Vanderbilt. To prepare you for that, today you'll learn the backstory behind Florida's quarterback of the moment, Austin Appleby, hear the latest on Florida's wideouts from receivers coach Kerry Dixon II, and get a full breakdown of where the Gators stand going into Nashville from FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. But first, when Luke Del Rio went down against North Texas, the Gators knew they had a solid backup ready to go. That's because grad transfer Austin Appleby chose to take on the competition and transfer to Florida from Purdue, despite getting no guarantee of playing time in his final year of eligibility. But football is a vicious game, and sure enough, an opportunity came Appleby's way. We asked the new signal caller what it was like to take the reins on her center in such a supercharged environment. It was an unbelievable experience. It was an unbelievable opportunity, you know, for our team to go into a place like that. And we came up a little short, hats off to the Vols. But there's a lot of good things that we took from that game, and we're going to bounce back and be ready for the Saturday. How did the experience compare to what you faced over your tenure in the Big Ten? That was an electric game. You know, 3.30 on a Saturday, CBS, is, is, what you, is what you live for. It's what you come to Florida to do. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a heck of a lot of fun, I'll tell you that. It seemed that the game really turned in that third quarter. Yeah. When you're in the middle of a game like that, and obviously people on the outside are watching, and they feel like that momentum is swinging, they see it turning, do you sense that as well on the field, or are you too in it to really feel that? You try not to look at the scoreboard. I mean, you have a job to do, you know, when you're on the sideline, you're trying to make the corrections, make the adjustments. You know, the third quarter, you could definitely feel the crowd get back into the game. So from that aspect, yeah, I mean, you could feel the momentum shift a little bit. We were firing all cylinders in the first half, and, uh, you know, they made some adjustments, and they started making some plays on offense, and their defense got some energy, and, you know, we had some plays to be made out there, and we, you know, we just didn't execute the best that we're able to. But we're going to learn from that. We're going to get better. We're going to have a great week of practice. And uh, in, in my opinion, it may be a blessing in disguise, you know, to have it happen so early, to have something like that slip away the way it hurt so bad, the faces in the locker room, just the emotion. It felt like we lost the national championship, you know, and that's that's encouraging. And it'll be really encouraging to see how we respond this week, the week of practice we have, and ultimately the way that we come out and play uh, play Vanderbilt this Saturday. What do you feel like you did learn from it? What what lessons do you take away? Two things. You know, the first one is how good we can be, you know, offensively. Mm-hmm. When we come out and we're executing at a high level, there's nobody that can stop us. And and we truly believe that. And then, you know, the other side of the coin is, you know, you got to keep that standard at all times. You know, you you, you got to keep your foot on the gas. You got to keep playing. You got to play. And you know, we talk about four to six seconds of, of all you can give for that play. Don't look ahead. Don't look behind. Make this play work. And then go make the next play work. You know, the splashes in the box score. Mm-hmm. You, know, you might not be able to be 30 for 30 passing, but you can be one for one 30 times. And, you know, just staying in the moment, just continuing to put plays together and, and, and see where we come up. 
and uh, we're going to continue to get better. Our team is young, full of talent. I thought we handled the crowd exceptionally well. You know, offensively, 28 points, and that place is, is notable. It's good. It's great. You know, we came up a little bit short. We had some plays that we could have made. We, there's a lot more we left out there, but we'll make the corrections. We'll get better, and, and Gator Nation will be proud of the way we respond. If we go back to the beginning for you, you grew up in North Canton, Ohio, just minutes away from the Hall of Fame. Are you basically born with a football in your hands in, in that part of the country? Pretty much. Um, I grew up going to the Friday night Hoover games, and Saturday nights were all about the Buckeyes, and Sundays were, were the NFL. You know, Growing up going to the Hall of Fame games and being around that environment, it's almost like the, the Friday Night Lights movies, I guess, mm-hmm. but it's in you know, northeast Ohio. It's where it all started. Football is religion, and you know, I'm, I'm really, really fond of where I grew up and, and where I've come to be from it. Is the Hall of Fame a big deal when you're from Canton, or is it like what Times Square is to New Yorkers? It's not a big deal. It's just outsiders that think it's important. I don't know. I mean, maybe a little bit of both. I mean, we definitely have pride. You know, mm-hmm. that we're the Hall of Fame city. You know, it, it's Canton. Like, every year in August with the Hall of Fame, our, that's what brings our city to life. But, I mean, you know, I haven't been to the Hall of Fame since they redid it a few <laughs> years ago. I haven't been home very often. Right. I've always intended to, but, you know, they're always building it. They're making this new Hall of Fame city. They're redoing the whole town. And, you know, I, I can't wait to get back when they finish it up. I think they got it finished right before the Hall of Fame game. And, you know... With all the the problems on game day there, it was a mm-hmm. little tough, but it was a really cool place to grow up and live. Tell us about growing up and, and what your parents did and just what life was like in, in North Canton. Sure. Um, my dad's from uh, Elyria, Ohio, just outside of Cleveland. Played at, at Louisville, played quarterback there, and then finished at Akron where he met my mom. My mom's also from Cleveland area. Um, my mom is a, a clinical counselor, a psychologist, and um, you know owns her own practice hard to get anything by her growing <laughs> up as a kid because she's all over us um and my dad owns an insurance company and uh just really really loved they were always there my dad was very flexible he made every single game he coached me growing up my mom was the same way but you know we knew that school always came first and mm-hmm. my mom would drop the hammer if she had to when we <laughs> sought when we needed to seek refuge me and my little brother we sought it in my dad my mom was the boss <laughs> of the house for sure i'll never forget you know, fourth grade football, rolling the house is homework has to be done before the game, period. And, you know, I had some vocabulary homework, and, you know, I'll get it done after the game. It's okay. Sure, it's a Monday sure. night, whatever. Middle of the game, this car pulls up. Little 5'3 lady walks out with her high heels on, walks straight onto the field, grabs me by my face mask, walks me off the field. Wow. We sit in the car. We finish my homework. I go back out, finish the game, win the game, and that's the last time that uh, we ever had an issue with that. And she would walk straight onto the swamp again if she had to. So she came in the middle of the game. She walked on the field and yes. pulled you off the my field. My dad is coaching the game, and he's like, nobody get in her way. Do not try and stop her. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, she's the sweetest, sweetest lady you'll ever meet in your life. But when it's time to drop the hammer, she'll drop the hammer. And, you know, it's I'm better for it. You know, she instills the values and, you know, what it's like to, to be a man and have, take care of your responsibilities. So considering her background and then your dad as a quarterback, in some ways were you kind of bred to play quarterback just because you have the mental side and then obviously the experience as well? Mm-hmm. I'll never forget going to games as a little kid. We used to go to the, the Hoover Viking games or the Canton McKinley games or, you know, you name it. There's always a game going on. Mm-hmm. And we used to sit in the end zone and he used to always say, hey, read the defenses. I had no clue what the heck I was looking at. <laughs> 
but I was watching and I was sure, into Dad, it. Sure, Dad, I'm doing it right now. Yeah, right. I got it. And I, I was, it. I was looking. I was always into it. I'd be in the backyard. I remember um, with my little brother Jacob, who's two years younger than me. Um, he's a golfer at Akron. We would be in the backyard and we'd have our plastic pads and helmet on, dreaming to beat Troy Aikman and <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys back then. That was my favorite team, and just you know, imagining yourself in the stadium, throwing the ball up to yourself and right. playing. Always dreamed to have a ball in my hand. Always dreamed to play football and. You know, my dreams are coming true. Now, you ended up at Purdue before you came to Florida. Yep. So take us through your career there. I know there were lots of ups and downs, trials and tribulations. Sure. It's, give us the, the four years in the Cliff Notes version of Purdue. Sure. Even before that, going through high school, was pretty highly recruited. Came down to Florida for a trip. I was here for the LSU game in, in the swamp, and it was a great game. It was when we were all orange. And I really remember, and I fell in love with the place. And, you know, I mentioned how Tebow was my idol growing up. I wanted to be just like him and, you know, had Ohio State and all the other big schools on my radar and got my knee blown out my junior year in the middle of the season. And, you know, a lot of the schools were a little bit not sure if I was going to be back and ready to play. You know, I got surgery three days later, was back in all the summer camps, basically having a tryout um, three, four months out of total knee reconstruction, ACL, MCL. Wow. And if I did good that day, they offered me. If not, it was, it was sorry. Best of luck to you. And the only school that stuck with me, never shook, was was Purdue. And, you know, number one, that education is, is world class. It felt like home. And, you know, you want to go where you're wanted. And ultimately, that's where I made my, my decision. You know, Coach Hope was the guy that, that offered me then. And, you know, I was really excited about the chance to go play. There were two senior quarterbacks there. They were going to graduate, and then it was going to be my turn for four years. And, you know, with all the quarterback a tradition there with Drew Brees and mm-hmm. Bob Greasy and Kyle Orton, you name it. It's, it's a school of quarterbacks, the cradle of quarterbacks, as I say. My head coach got fired my true freshman year. They brought in a new one, had to re-earn because the coach had no idea who I was. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of refight for my job. Ended up being, um, you know, a, a backup and kept battling and keep getting better. Ultimately, my second or third year, it had been my redshirt sophomore year, I finally got my first start was playing at a really, really high level, our offense was. And, you know, our team always had a lot of talent, just could never put it together and win the games that we needed to. Mm-hmm. But as an offense and individually, you know, played really well. I always said that, you know, some of the things that I wish I would have done differently where I always tried to make too many plays, I always felt like it was all on me to, to, to kind of will us to win, you know, because we gave up a lot of points at times. Mm-hmm. And I made a lot of mistakes at times because I'm – going into games thinking hey I got to score 40 points for us to have a chance and that's just the wrong way of going about it and as I've matured and learned that you know I just got to do my job and that's been the the maturing for me is to just go play and one play at a time like I said to you a second ago Mm -hmm. just go be one for one again and again and again and again and let the defense work for you trusting your coaches trusting your teammates and you know got going into my last season had the starter. We were really excited about our season. We didn't start as great as we would have liked. Still played good offense. You know, played a, a Virginia Tech team at home that was kind of our we said was our program changing game. We're gonna win this one. You know, it's kinda like we're gonna win or bust. You know, we were a little bit overmatched. They had a great plan for us and they, they kicked our butt. They really did. And uh the coaches decided to to move on with uh with a young guy. Um, it was devastating for me, mm-hmm. you know. You know, I didn't know what I was going to do, where I was going to go, and um, you know, just kept fighting, keep trying to get better. Had an opportunity after he got injured in the second to last game against Iowa, and at that point, 
you know, I just said the thing, you know, I'm just going to go have fun. I'm going to go play. I'm going to let it come to me, win, lose, or draw. I'm going to go have a blast with my brothers and, and just go play my ball the way I know how to do it. And the last two games for me were my best football I've played and then asked for my release the next day after the last game. And then the hunt was on. You know, I had two weeks until it went dead in recruiting to kind of blast out uh, emails and send film to every coach in the country and try to get a list of where I wanted to go and who needed, who had needs and, you know, got my degree, finished school. It was really important for me for to finish. You know, when it was going through those tough times early in my career, you know, a lot of people were like, man, you should just go transfer. Go, you know, I wanted to finish. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to do things the right way. I got my degree. That was really important to me and then had the opportunity to go look and had a list from everywhere from the SEC to the Big Ten. I would love to stay in the Big Ten to you name it, the MAC level, everywhere in between. Identified watching the games, you know, that the Florida had some – had all the pieces but needed a quarterback. You know, just watching the game, it wasn't hard for me to see, like, man, I, I can play there. And sure. – you know, the dialogue began, you know, with, with Coach Mack and I and the staff and Coach Nuss, and it was never, ever said to me one time, hey, man, we're going to hand you the keys. You're going to be our guy like it was at other places, even mm-hmm. in this conference. Like, there were teams that were handing it to me, like, you're going to be our starter day one. You're our guy. We need you. This place never once said that you're going to earn everything you get. You know, there's no guarantees. We'd love to have you. And at the end of the day, I grew up wanting to be a Gator, Love Tebow, was here for a game, and I just fell in love with the place. You know, talked to Trent Dilfer, who's one of my mentors from the Elite 11, mm-hmm. and was just like, he, he encouraged him, man, go be a dreamer, man. Go, don't ever look back and say, man, I wish I would have did this. You know, I wish I would have pulled the trigger and went and be a Gator. You'd probably go somewhere and play 12 games and start and put up a whole bunch of numbers and, you know, have a great senior season and go on to the next level. But, man, put all your eggs in one basket. And that's that's all we want to do. I put my faith in God every single time that it's been tough that I faced some adversity. Back from high school with my knee injury, not knowing where I was going to go, to having you know Purdue come up, to going there and facing not playing, and then getting my job, mm-hmm. and then facing more adversity and having it taken away, to being totally lost and giving it up to Him, and then just like that, immediately, bang! I got my opportunity again and play my best football to now Florida comes in the picture where they probably never would have been. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know who would have wanted me at that point. I was kind of damaged goods, I guess. You know, <laughs> being a, a, a fifth-year senior that, you know, couldn't have a job at Purdue mm-hmm. to getting a chance to go to the University of Florida, I don't understand the perception of Purdue. We've got a heck of a lot of good players. It's just, that's just the perception. Right. Like, people don't know me, and they don't know what what the situation is there. You know, and then getting to Florida, where it's been, it's been uphill. It's been a, it's been a grind every single day. I got to bring my very best. Nothing's ever been guaranteed, but that's what you want. If you want to be your best, mm-hmm. you want to be around the best. You want to be competing with the very best every single day. I go against the best defense in the country. I truly believe that every single day in practice, I've got the best players in the country that I'm throwing to, and you know that are relying on me to be at my best. And it raises your level. You know, and and not getting named the starter early this season was tough. I was devastated again. I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've been through it so many times that everything just has a weird way of working itself out. Mm-hmm. Every single time that I quit trying to do it my way and I give it to the Lord. And, you know, one of one of the coaches has, you know, really kind of mentored me in that way and has said, you know, Austin, find your purpose here beyond football, you know, because it's bigger than football. You know, who can you affect in this locker room? Who can you affect in this community? 
you know, what little eyes are watching you, every move that you make. Because I remember the way that I looked at Tim. I got mm. a chance to meet him two years ago working out in the summertime out in California. And I was like, oh, my God, that's, that's I'm 23. I was like, that's the guy that I looked up to. I want to be just like him. And was he, that was that the biggest like starstruck moment you've had? I don't know if it was people? starstruck as much. I was just like, he was exactly who I thought he would be. He was 100 percent genuine. He wasn't a, he wasn't big time into me. I mean, mm-hmm. he was like, I mean, he probably has no idea. He probably doesn't even remember it. But you know, it was you know, I met him. I got to work out with him. And after that, he's like, "Hey, man, let me know if you ever need anything." I'm like, "Okay, cool." Like I say that to people. Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> 30 minutes to a half an hour later, I get a text. Hey, it's Tim. You know, let, seriously, let me know if wow. you need anything. I got you. And nice, we talked back and forth. You know, he shared some some faith with me, gave me some encouragement. We talked a little bit about the word. And it just encouraged me, like, you know, you can be like that. You know, that's who I wanted to be like ever since I was a little kid. I wore 15 in high school. It was, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It was, what would Tim Tebow do? <laughs> and, you know, it was really, really neat for me to, to be around him and just have that little, in, you know, connection with him to where, like, man, he did it the right way. I can do it the right way. And, you know, I always remember that. And, you know, when things get tough, to put my faith in the Lord, and every single time, again and again, he reveals himself to me in ways that I can't even fathom, you know, to have an opportunity to be this team's starting quarterback. If you told me I'd be starting for the University of Florida Gators a year ago or back when I was 14, I mean, it's that's that's what I dreamed about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here I am. I've worked my butt off every single day, and, you know, it, it's it's awesome. Teams are families, and you left one family in Purdue and you came to this family. How have they been different? What's that transition like, adjusting to a new culture? The first day I got here, they welcomed me in as if I'd been here for years. And that's why this place is so special. What Coach Mack is building with his staff and the way that they care, they truly care and they love us. And I think you saw it with the way that he stood up for us in the in the North Texas game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's special. It's rare that a head coach really, truly has our back. And it's not just talk, it's action. That's why we'll run through a wall for this guy. And it goes all the way down through the entire program, through the training staff, through the support staff, through the media guys, all the faculty, the janitors. It doesn't matter. I mean, everybody is on board to being great. There's a standard to be your best every single day. And that's why I came here. There are a lot of great places I could have went with all the bells and whistles. But this is ultimately why you come to the University of Florida, because you're going to be great and you're going to be pushed to be great in everything you do. And that culture is to win a championship and to reach our full potential, which is to be a championship team. And I'm so fortunate and so blessed and wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And I'm, I'm so happy to be a Gator. You talked about the time you spent as a kid analyzing football and, and being the, the son of a coach. From an analytical standpoint, now having been on the field, can you compare and contrast Big Ten football to SEC football? Because so many people, they try and make comparisons, but they haven't had really the experience in both like you have. I mean, there's always an argument. The SEC people are all like, you know, we're so much greater than the Big Ten. I'm not. They, I'm not trying to pander. I'm just trying to. I'm trying yeah. to get the real answer. The Big Ten is all about, oh, we're better than the SEC. Sure. It's all at the end of the day. It's football's football. I mean, there's great players everywhere. There's speed from Florida that's up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the there's the big guys that are down here. You know, there's great coaches. There's great game plans. I mean, I, I've only played one game at this level. You know, in the SEC so far. I'll be able to tell you more, you know, come December. 
but maybe you know the fans and the, the 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 atmosphere and the way that football is religion down here it's all the same like you know people are going to say oh i'm crazy but at the end of the day it's it's just ball <laughs> and it's it's a blast it's a blessing like it doesn't get any better than this 330 i mean saturday was awesome that crowd going into that place with 102,000 people that hate your guts i mean <laughs> coach max like does it going to get any better than this this mm-hmm. is why you come to the sec that's why you play in games like this, and it's an experience of a lifetime. Guys would kill to do what we're doing. We're truly blessed, and uh, to play in both conferences is, uh, is is a dream come true. Based on your story, I'm sure this is the question your mom will probably care the most about. <laughs> uh, what are your plans after football? You're getting you're in grad school now. Mm-hmm. What's next for you once football is over? Well, I got my degree from Purdue, like I told you. That was in selling and sales management with a minor in entrepreneurship. I'm here in grad school at Florida in the sport management grad school program. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I have aspirations to coach. You know, the people that made the biggest impacts on me growing up were my coaches, you know, from, from Coach Blackledge in high school to Coach Hurtler, my high school football coach, to my coaches at Purdue. You know, Coach Shoup is very, very close with me. I talk to him very frequently. You know, Trent Dilfer and then Coach Mack and, and this staff. These guys have made such an impact, and there's so many others, you know, my baseball mm-hmm. coaches, like you name it. The most fun I've ever had is is at the field, is playing, going to practice. You know, I'll go down and get lost in the film room, and it'll be 10, 30, 11. The lights will turn out on me because the janitor's already left, and I'll close the place up, and I have a heck of a lot more fun doing that than I have (laughs) doing homework. Sure. So, you know, I kind of found my passion. Like, you know, I really enjoy just being around a team, just that the work, being out at practice, going through it with the guys, and I don't think I can get away from it. So, you know, I'm going to go chase my dream to go play in the NFL. You know, I'm going to go play as long as I can possibly play. When they tell me I can't anymore, you know, I'm going to go take the things that I've learned, the good and the bad, the, you know, I have a heck of a lot of experience, a heck of a lot of knowledge, and I know I can help the young guys. And, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to help Kyle and Felipe. Mm -hmm. They've seen the things that I've done so they can learn from my mistakes and they don't have to make their own. And, you know, I'm hoping that I can positively affect them through that and, you know, hopefully hopefully make a, a career out of it. I think, uh, I think it would be a blast to be able to do that. Final thing for you, as you head into Music City this weekend, what will you be listening to as you head into Music City? <laughs> um, I've got an interesting playlist. I've been, I've been tagged as a smart guy who cares way too much, <laughs> so I'll get really amped is, up. Is that is that a bad thing? Maybe. <laughs> well, it is sometimes. You know, it's it's kind of like my mom. I told you she's right. psychology. Right. Your your weaknesses are your overused strengths. You start overthinking it. Yes. And yeah. so I'm going to analyze <laughs> and overthink everything. So I got to take myself away, just totally away. I don't listen to the pump up music. I can't like get amped up and listen to the hard rock or the rap. I like listen to like EDM house music. Like I'm just going out with my buddies and hanging out <laughs> and having a good time, just the good vibes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that kind of just takes me away and puts me in a good place and just kind of keeps me even keel and, and relaxed and you know kind of kind of want to walk into the stadium with the same feeling like you know I'm going out in the boat and hanging out on a weekend or I'm just kind of going to the pool just in that calm state where life is good like you know who's got it better than us this is amazing you know we got nothing to worry about the hard work's been done just go have fun and play well I hope that serves you all this weekend <laughs> Nashville thanks for the time Austin. thank you really appreciate you having me
Jim McElwain said from day one in Gainesville that the Gators were going to develop their downfield passing game, and we've seen more and more flashes of that throughout the early part of this season. Kerry Dixon II leads the wideouts for Florida, and Jeff Cardozo had a chance to chat with him about their growth and performance. Yeah, I've been longing for another opportunity to get on the field, and I know the guys have, you know, another opportunity to compete and go out and play great football. You can't beat it. In that locker room afterwards, obviously there were there was a lot of disappointment. So how has this week in practice been leading up to Saturday? You feel the guys are ready to erase that? Yeah, the guys have prepared extremely hard. You know, um, there was a lot of talk from the upperclassmen throughout the week, just making sure guys maintain focus and go out. We still have a job to do, you know, and we have to take it one at a time. And you talk about upperclassmen, but that's not really the case at your position. A lot of young guys, obviously Callaway's been there, done that, but uh, you've got three freshmen now with Cleveland getting in there, really significantly contributing. How has the, the process been with them over the summer and, and now into the fall to, to their playing time? You know, with the way we do things around here and the, the system that Coach Mack has in place, those guys have been able to get around the veterans, learn the system. So when it came to fall, and it, it was easy for them to reload and really get the gist of what we're really trying to do. So the attention to detail in certain aspects of the game has been really good. Sometimes freshmen aren't able to handle 90,000, 100,000 people and, and playing in atmospheres like that. Have you been impressed with what your guys can do? Yeah, I've been very impressed with the young guys. You know, they come out like it's any other day and uh, nothing phases them. They're just having fun and playing a game of football that they love. You obviously uh, have, have had two different quarterbacks. Unfortunately, what happened to Luke, and then Austin goes out and, and throws it up pretty well. When, when you're going through the week and now having Austin Appleby as the guy, are there different things that you do knowing he's the quarterback? Uh, we don't do anything differently. We just go out and prepare to win like we do all the time. And it doesn't matter who's behind center. We have faith in all four of those guys, and who's ever back there, we're going to play hard for them. And then you get to, uh, to be down on the field. How much communicating is going on with you on the field? Uh, we do a lot of communication every time they come off. I actually have some older guys that really do a good job, too, of telling me what they see. The guys that are playing, they tell me what they see. We can make quick adjustments. I can get to Coach Nuss right away, and uh, we can put together some successful plays for us to be successful on the field. When uh, you had the injury to Wharton and then Callaway misses misses a game, too, how do you go about trying to get different guys in there when uh, when, when one guy's down? You know, those guys do a great job of preparing as starters, even if they aren't. So when a guy goes down, it's just next man up. That's the philosophy around here. And uh, they understand that, and they understand that when they have their opportunity, they have to shine. Does the uh, communication factor much into what's going on this week? And this game won't be as loud as it was in Knoxville with 100,000 crazy people yelling and screaming. But when you guys are on the road, what are some of the things that you do to, to try to alleviate that? Uh, during the week, we try to practice with crowd noise to make sure we're adjusted to it. That way, when that does happen, we're able to communicate, whether it be by hand when they're on the field or on the sideline, we can hear each other regardless of how loud the crowd is. So the things that we do throughout the week help us on game day. And during the week, watching film, have you seen anything over the last couple of weeks that you now change going into this game? Uh, we really haven't changed anything. I uh, will tell you that they have two guys at corner that are pretty special, and then they have Burke, number 20, that plays a, plays a lot of different spots. Uh, he's a really good player, and we just have to be alert to where those guys are and how they're playing us. Yeah, I was going to ask you about their defense because obviously historically that's a great defense and what Vandy does. So do you do anything different trying to get off the ball? or They've historically played off. 
you know, but when they do play up on us, uh, we watch film on the techniques that they play so we understand how they're going to press us and what we need to use to get off. How much of a chess match is that? Because you know, obviously you're watching what they do on film and then they're going to watch what you do on film and, and, and everybody's going to try to adjust to that. So how, how do you come up with the best way to, to attack them? Well, you always have a bag of tricks. And uh, you keep those bag of tricks. It might be something that you worked on throughout the summer. Uh, it might be something that you installed that week. But whatever that trick is, whatever they're doing, you have to counteract it with your next trick. And these guys, uh, these freshmen are playing a lot of tricks, and, and Hammond's been great, and now Cleveland getting into the mix. Is, is it neat to see those young guys contributing right away? Yeah, it's neat to see them contribute. You know, it just goes to show you how competitive those guys are um, and how focused they are, and I'm glad we have them on our team. And, uh, and you certainly got a guy in, uh, in Antonio Callaway that, that's good too. A great year one, so how do you keep him focused to, to continue to get better and better? Well, it's interesting when I talk to him, the biggest thing, he said he wanted to be legendary. Well, to be legendary, you have to compete at a high level every day. And consistency is the hallmark of a champion. If he keeps that mindset, then there's no ceiling for him. The result on Rocky Top was very disappointing for the Gators. And earlier, you heard Austin Appleby describe the visceral response from the players in the aftermath. But what are we to make of that performance and what it means for the Gators moving forward? We turn to Scott Carter from FloridaGators.com to get some perspective. The first thing is, you know, Austin Appleby, I thought, proved that he gives the Gators uh, some depth at the quarterback, which they haven't had. So, you know, a big question mark, how is this guy going to go out and perform? The first half, he performed great. I mean, Gators get up to the big lead. On the back end of that, oh, I mean, the big question, okay, you had a defense with coming off a school record performance, giving up 53 yards to North Texas. You knew that wasn't going to happen against Tennessee, but I didn't expect 498 either. But there's a lot of factors that go into that when you look at this game and, and see how it played out. And, you know, obviously, first of all, uh, the offense really uh, didn't produce anything in the second half. The mm. first six drives of the half, five were three and outs, and the other one was an interception on the first play. So your defense is on the field pretty much all the third quarter. Those guys just got tired. I mean, it was hot up in Knoxville the other day. They got tired. You could tell. Once you get tired, you start making some mental mistakes and physical mistakes, and we saw that on a couple of those Tennessee touchdown passes where guys were just out of place. They weren't communicating the way they should. And uh, so those mistakes hurt. The crowd got into it, and it, just, it really happened so fast, Adam, that it was hard to kind of comprehend right after the game. Tennessee scored 38 points in a row, you know, after Florida led 21 nothing, And, and you know, once that happened, uh, the Gators really, they mustered the final touchdown drive at the end uh, for not. But what I, what I, my final takeaway is to me, Adam, is I think Florida is still a good team. I think the defense probably played as badly as it could in those final 30 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think. I'd be surprised to see some of that happen again. Uh, the offense looked as good as we've seen in a long time in the first half. It goes really back to that those six drives to open the second half. I mean, that's where the game was determined. Some of that credit obviously has to go to Tennessee for making some adjustments. And some of that, you have to look at Florida's offense, uh, maybe decision-making there. Uh, at his press conference Monday, Jim McElwain basically said, hey, guys, it's no secret uh, when – 
what was working in the first half starts not to work. You maybe have to dial up some different things. I think Florida didn't do that soon enough because, to me, those first two drives after halftime, they were three and outs, and you really needed some some momentum back on your favor when when, uh, Tennessee scored that touchdown to cut it down to 21-10 and 21-17. But they just couldn't muster any momentum, and that defense had to stay out there on the field. And eventually we started seeing some breakdowns. It was so much different from what we saw the first three weeks of the year. The one notable change being it was on the road. It was also against a higher caliber opponent. So does the first three weeks connect, do you think, or is it almost like from this point on it's a different season? Uh, You know, I don't look at it that way. I, I think, you know, the first three weeks they won a game ugly. They had their best performances season against Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, they basically let the defense do most of the dirty work against North Texas. I mean, I don't think you're going to go around the country and ask people about this Gators team and think suddenly they're going to fall off the map after this game. I mean, like you said, they were on the road. They were playing against a team ranked higher. And it was a rivalry that was, has been charged all summer. You knew Tennessee was going to be pumped up. You knew the fans were going to be pumped up. That's why it was so – much more stunning the way it happened because the Gators immediately took the crowd out of it. You could see as Tennessee went into the halftime, there were boos, and that was a dejected football team. People and, were leaving. Some yeah. people left. And then, you know, the second half, it turned around, and you're like, how did that happen? And it happened because, you know, the Gators stopped producing on offense. And, uh, you know, the offensive questions, uh, I think, you know, you could look at the Florida offense and seal some jury out. The defense, I think, is still going to be fine. I'm curious, though. I mean, the big question is to really get to the heart of your question is, how are they going to respond? That was a lot of the tone uh, in the media availability among the players and coaches. How are they going to respond to what happened in Knoxville? Because in two or three weeks, I think your question might have some more relevance if, for instance, they don't look anything like they did against Kentucky or Mm -hmm. even the first half against Tennessee. I just think it's too early to – to make too much out of this just because of, of the circumstances surrounding that game. You mentioned Austin Appleby, and, and he, he played very well. I mean, he really did what he needed to do in the first half. He led the offense. In the first half, Florida looked as good as they've looked in a really long time. Mm-hmm. So what do they take away from that first half that they can channel into Vanderbilt, into LSU, and, and beyond that? Well, I think they go back to first. They know that Austin Appleby is a capable quarterback. He can get some balls to receivers down the field. Uh, there's always a question, Luke Del Rio. I mean, he's going to eventually get healthy and be back in the mix. He's probably going to be eased back into practice this week. Highly doubtful for Vanderbilt, but LSU the next week, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out if Appleby does have a really good game at Vanderbilt mm-hmm. and the Gators win big, or if he struggles and it's an ugly game and who knows what happens, then it kind of, you know, probably Del Rio comes back and maybe – takes over again so we're just gonna have to wait to see how that plays out what I do know is that what they got from Austin Appleby was something that they could have surely used at the end of last season mm-hmm. just a guy who was capable and moved the ball effectively in the passing game I thought he threw some really good balls made a crucial mistake obviously early in the third quarter Tennessee started getting some pressure on him and made him uncomfortable you could tell he was uncomfortable and of course he tried to make a play happened that wasn't there. He was picked off. It led to a Tennessee score. That was his biggest mistake. But overall, I mean, this game, that loss was not about Austin Appleby's play. He did plenty for the Gators to win. Uh, it was about Tennessee figuring some things out, 
regain the momentum and Florida's defense breaking down at some crucial moments. And I think part of that was, again, goes back to the offense not being able to consistently maintain drives. And, you know, they were really not much doing anything, run game or pass game, for most of the second half. As we look at the, the bigger picture now, the landscape, it is interesting because it seems like Florida's still in a really good position to get to Atlanta. They don't control everything at this point, but if you look at the way the schedules lay out for everybody, Florida's still got a really good shot to get there. No doubt. Uh, I think late November we can be sitting here and we're going to be talking about, boy, that was a crazy – I think you're going to see a lot of conferences, a lot of divisions eat themselves this year. I think you're going to see each week – you know, we saw Georgia get blown out against Ole Miss – didn't exactly see that coming in that fashion. This Tennessee-Florida game I thought was a toss-up. You know, Tennessee wins. They are in the control. Uh, but now Florida, like you said, they're they're not in a insurmountable position by any means. I mean, all the games in the conference and the division are winnable. Uh, the LSU, they've certainly lost some of their luster. But as long as they have Leonard Fournette in that backfield, uh, that's a dangerous matchup. We saw what he did here a couple of years ago. And I don't know exactly why it's not working with him the way it, you know, has last year. Mm -hmm. uh, I know they haven't used him as much. They have situation at quarterback, obviously, they've been dealing with. But the LSU-Florida rivalry is always one of the most intense of the year. So that's going to be a big game. But, again, Georgia down the road, Vanderbilt this week. Yeah, the, the schedule does look pretty good for them. I, I think the one game that really sticks out to me is that road trip to Arkansas. Sure. That's a game that, you know, come that time of season could be a very important one for Florida to win if, uh, if you know, if they're tied with Tennessee or uh, still a game behind in the race. That I, I can see that would be a must-win. Oftentimes, Vanderbilt can be a trap game, especially on the road. This year, given what just happened in Knoxville, certainly doesn't look like it's going to be that kind of trap game for Florida because of their mindset. So all things considered, they seem to be in a pretty good place going into Nashville. Yeah, I think they have to be, Adam, uh, because of what happened in Knoxville. This team does have some uh, lofty goals, and they they want to get back to Atlanta. Uh, you're not going to do that if you go up and lose to Vanderbilt. And I think it was such an emotional locker room after the loss to Tennessee. Guys were crying. Guys were upset. They really thought they were going to win that game. Uh, they thought they were the better team, and they took that loss hard. So – to me, this Vanderbilt game is a response game that will tell you something about Florida's mindset because, in theory, they should come out and just dominate the Commodores and, you know, put up uh, some big numbers and win this game and say, hey, don't ride us off yet. And if they don't do that, then, you know, you, I mean, you don't know where it's going. I think there will be some more questions uh, afterward if, if there was a, obviously a loss or a close win. And the, I think the picture of this Florida team does get a little murkier as the second half of the season approaches. Uh, so I'm going to be very curious just to watch how they respond because, again, Vanderbilt struggling. Uh, they're 2-2, two 0-1 and two, and one in the SEC, opened up with a loss to a South Carolina at home, and uh, they had to escape uh, in overtime against Western Kentucky. So, you know, we'll see, Adam, but there's a, they're a team that Gators usually take care of, but you remember a few years ago it didn't happen, and, it was not a good season for the Gators. And last year, Florida just slipped by on that late field goal from Austin Harden. Mm -hmm. So there have been some there have been some close calls along the way, but this time it seems to be a little bit different. Florida's not in the position they were a year ago in the month of November without a quarterback. They're in much better shape today than they were a year ago. Yeah, one of the interesting things to me about this game is it starts at 11 a.m. in Nashville. I mean, that's unusual. I mean, 
That's a very early start. Yeah, it's 11 a.m., and uh, the Gators are going to do some things this week in the mornings to maybe get acclimated to that. And if you remember, they really haven't played well at noon games last year. What, Vanderbilt was that one they squeaked by. Mm-hmm. Florida Atlantic they squeaked by. And then, of course, Michigan, the bowl game. We all know how that turned out. They got whipped 41-7. to So McIlwain uh, is, you know, he wants to see that response as well. So there's some tricky things going on with this game. But, I mean, Florida, to me, the only thing they need to worry about is they've got to come out and prove that last week uh, they're not going to let that linger. I think that's the most important thing they can do in this game. What else do you know about Vanderbilt? Well, I know that Zach Cunningham, the linebacker, one of the better players in the SEC, uh, you know, he's a guy who already has 38 tackles, and he's regarded as an all-SEC first-team potential candidate. Kyle Shermer, their quarterback, uh, new there. A uh, guy who uh, three touchdowns, two interceptions, still looking to get the offense going. I mean, since Derek Mason has been there, Adam, I mean, they've been a more of a defensive-oriented program. Mm-hmm. That's his background. I think they've really had trouble finding some consistency on offense. Uh, but one guy they have found some consistency with is a guy that Gators are very familiar with, Ralph Webb, who went to Gainesville High. Uh, he put some yards up against them the last couple of years. You know, he only needs uh, 613 yards to break Zach Stacy's uh, school record for a uh, career rushing. So, I mean, he's had a good career at Vanderbilt, and he'll be a focal point for the Florida defense. But overall, it, it's another kind of growing year for these guys. I mean, you just – Mason's tried to kind of get things turned around there, but he's having a little more difficulty than uh, James Franklin did before him. <laughs> And that's going to do it for today's show. As always, we encourage you to subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and please give us a review if you haven't already done so. We also welcome your feedback on Twitter at Gators Podcast or by emailing GatorsPodcast at gmail.com. Remember not to sleep in too much on Saturday because Florida and Vanderbilt kick off from Nashville at noon Eastern on the SEC Network and the Gator IMG Sports Network. Thanks to the breaking news this past Tuesday, our special podcast reflecting on the career of Jeremy Foley will be available this coming Tuesday, and our LSU preview podcast will post as usual on Thursday. So until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Music City.